Isn't it funny how, I don't know if funny is the right word, but certain songs where the anointing rests and then change the song and it's like the anointing moves. And I experienced some of that this morning. So, um, Sorry team, I was jumping around with the songs this morning, um, but you kept up really well. But such a lovely presence in the worship. And it was nice to hear you singing too. Very cool. Well, this morning I'm going to talk a little bit about mountains. Mountains are often mentioned in the Bible, not surprisingly because they were part of the landscape um, where biblical stories take place. In fact, mountains and hills are mentioned over 500 times throughout the scriptures. Uh, In the Old Testament, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion are probably the two most significant mountains. Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments, and Mount Zion uh, was the location of the Jerusalem Temple. Uh, In the New Testament, Jesus appoints the twelve apostles on a mountain. He delivers the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount, and perhaps the most significant scene in the New Testament is the Transfiguration, where Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah. And Jesus, in that moment, is seen as the fulfillment of the law, represented by Moses, and the prophets, represented by Elijah. But mountains can symbolize things. We have mountaintop experiences, we have those in life, and we have the valley experiences, uh, which can represent times, I guess, of hardship, Um, Mountains sometimes represent obstacles and challenges that we face. These are to be conquered. Yet, how often do we find ourselves going round and round the mountain, not overcoming the obstacles? And often it's not until we conquer a mountain that we gain victory over it because it's in the process that we learn along the way. Um, as many of you know, I do a bit of hunting around Canterbury, usually on dock land, um, which usually requires at least a couple of hours walking to the to the hunter day to hunt. For de- always mountains to climb. Um, the best times of the day to hunt for deer um, uh, see the sunrise or sunset. So it usually means an early start if we want to catch the morning the morning hunt and the evening hunt. Um, it's usually a couple of hours drive to the location, so we're up fairly early, and we'll normally prepare to spend the whole day up on the mountain, and so you have a hunt in the morning, if you're lucky you get to go down the mountain after that, if not, um, you just kind of sleep on the mountain, and do nothing, and wait for the sunset to come. But this means that you need to pack a few extras, um, especially around the colder months, where you need to take extra layers of clothing, if you've been up on the mountains you'll know this. Um, but you're always trying to keep the weight of your pack down as well. Um, I've been caught out without enough clothing, without enough water on the mountain, and it's really not a good time. Um, but every item that you put into your pack it adds to the weight that you've got to carry up the mountain. Um, the walk in and up the mountain soon becomes very, very tiring, uh, especially for myself anyway. Um, but you soon find a rhythm. But when the climbing gets really steep, and you're carrying all the weight of your gear, it eventually becomes not only a physical challenge, but a mental challenge as well. Uh, When it's hard, 
I find myself just taking one step at a time, telling myself, just keep going, I'm panting, my body's aching, just one more step, one more step, my legs are feeling like jelly, I think I'm going to collapse, just keep going, and keep going. But sometimes life can be like that as well, right? With the challenges that we face, it feels like sometimes we're just having to take one step at a time, one step at a time. There's some things I've learned along the way about climbing mountains, and metaphorically, when there are hills, valleys, or mountains that we have to face, here are some things that I find helpful. First of all, be prepared. Um, it was actually Pastor Garth who introduced me to hunting, and originally I had no gear. Um, I remember the first, might have been the birthday gift that he got me was a, a top for wearing up on the mountains. Um, and in those first few times when I went up the mountains, um, I just went up with what I had. So having suitable footwear is important. Um, I used to go up in my sneakers, um, but that's not encouraged at all. Um, up in, especially around Canterbury, there's Madagari bushes, and if you don't know what they are, they've got spiky things sticking out of them. And they just go straight through your shoes. The terrain's really rugged, and it just wrecks your shoes. So I went through a couple of pairs of shoes before I actually got some decent ones. Um, I've experienced being cold. I remember waiting desperately for the sun to come up. It was cold. Nothing we could do, just sit there and huddle up and wait for the sun to come out. When it came out, it was good. Um, nowadays, I've got most of the gear I need, and now it's just a matter of trying to figure out what to take and what not to take, because it's a long way to take something that's going to cost you energy to carry it, especially if you're not going to use it. One step at a time. Mountains are conquered one step at a time. Sometimes the going is tough, and the baggage is weighing you down, you're huffing, you're puffing, your body's screaming at you for rest, it's aching, you have to tell yourself, don't stop here, just take another step, just keep going, one step at a time. Self-talk and what I'm thinking is important. You know, what are you telling yourself is really important because you know, when I'm walking for hours at a time, it's pointless to think about giving up. It's pointless to think about turning back. So I don't even think about that, I don't even go there. I usually just get caught up thinking about the next step, which is an awful thing to think about because you end up kind of counting and, oh, one more step, one more step, two, three, four. Um, but I find that once I find a rhythm, that my brain just sort of clears up and then I just begin to talk with God. I've had some great conversations with God walking up the mountains. It's easier to conquer a mountain when you're not on your own. Sometimes you have to go on your own and there's no way around it. But it's so much easier when someone else is there. Um, I always put Garth out front to set the pace so I can just sort of take my own time. But it helps to keep me going. It helps to keep me pulled along. Um, climbing with someone who has more experience can help you navigate new territory better. And they can help to carry the load sometimes. Um, there's been times where I've had to take some of the stuff out of my pack. And Garth has been fortunate enough to carry that for me. Um, but it's important to have someone to go along with you. A headlamp for the dark. When you're walking through the bush in the dark, you need to see where you're going. And even with a headlamp, you can't see too far ahead. In fact, your head's sort of looking down at the trail. Um, but you need a light that will light your path and show the way. And usually it's just highlighting a little area. And so, again, you're just taking one step at a time, taking the next step. Never ask how much further to go. How far... How far is not far now, which can lead to disappointment, um, frustration when we don't arrive when we want to arrive. Um, I remember the first time going up Mount Richardson with Pastor Garth. 
And he said, oh, we're just coming up to the last steep, steep bit and then it's going to flatten out. And it was just a long, continual walk. It was, it was hard. It was hard. Uh, rest when you need to rest. It's okay to stop along the way. Just don't stay there. Take, take some time to catch your breath, rest your body. Um, it's necessary for the long journey. And we never want to push ourselves so hard that we eventually can't move any further. Keep hydrated. Um, these days I've um, learned to dress lightly for the walk. So often just shorts and a t-shirt. Because if you're moving, you're staying warm. It's when you stop that you begin to cool down. Um, but even in just shorts and a t-shirt, the sweat just pours off. So it's important to keep the hydration up. Eat food. Keep yourself fed. will give you sustenance and replace your spent energy. Celebrate your wins. Getting to the top is rewarding. It's so good when you break up to the top and you're onto that flat ground and you can begin to take in the views that are around you and you get a different perspective from, from the top of the mountain. You can see much further and you can see what's happening down below. So life has its challenges in the same way. But God has his promises for us to inherit and we will either conquer the mountain or as I said before, we'll go around and around it again. So we're going to the book of Joshua. We're going to verse uh, chapter 14, verses 6 to 15. And we're going to look at the story of Caleb, which is one of my personal favourites in the Bible. Um, let me read to you. I'm re reading from the New King James, verse 6 of chapter 14. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea? I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. He's talking to Caleb. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron, formerly known as Kiriath Arba, was the greatest, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, then the land had rest from war. So as we come to this chapter, chapter 14, Israel have been engaging the enemy in battle. They'd won some significant victories. They'd seen some losses along the way as well. But they'd learned to follow their leader, Joshua, who learned to lean on the Lord for his military exploits. 
They'd been camping in the promised land for some time now. And the Lord had commanded Joshua to divide up the land as an inheritance. Uh, now the tribe of Judah steps forward for their inheritance. And here is this 85-year-old man standing in front of them, reminding Joshua of God's promises. Caleb is a picture of a man who finds himself, who wants to inherit everything that God has for him. He's not content to simply give up and grow old, but he continues to step into the promises that God has for him. And he was happy to demand that which was available for him. Give me this mountain. It was his inheritance. And one of the important aspects of this passage to note is that they received their inheritance whilst the enemy was still living in the land. For us, we need to understand that God's promises as our inheritance, as sons and daughters of God, as co-heirs with Christ, sometimes the enemy is still inhabiting the land that God has promised us. Sometimes we have to drive the enemy out before we can fully inhabit the promise and experience the rest from war, just like Caleb did. God's promise is that we would live a life of victory, but often, rather than claiming what belongs to us, we choose to live in the wilderness, settle for less than what God has promised for us. Sometimes, like the nation of Israel, they were commanded to drive out all the inhabitants. Um, we choose to live with them instead, and we allow them to dwell among us. And as a result, we miss out on things like joy, peace, and fellowship with God. Peace is not simply the absence of war, the absence of trial and struggle. It's finding peace, joy, and fellowship wherever we find ourselves. Sometimes, even in the struggle, even in the middle of the process, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding, a joy that is anchored in hope and faith, understanding that God walks with us in every situation. Now, sometimes we window shop with God's promises. We look at them, we ponder them, but we do nothing to possess them. And there's nothing wrong with window shopping. Some like it, some don't. I don't. I know that if I can't have something, I don't really want to look at it. If I haven't got the money to buy it, I'm not, not really interested. Um, but I'm sure for some of you, you like to window shop. That's all good. Um, but window shopping is like the man who said this to his wife. Why do you call it shopping? You never buy anything. She replied, why do you call it fishing? You never catch anything. <laughs> you say that about hunting. Uh, as believers, we need to do more than just window shop with God's promises. We need to lay hold of those promises and claim them in our lives. And it's not that we just say it and we claim it and we have it. There has to be an active pursuit and being intentional about pursuing them. So what, what was it that enabled this aging, 85-year-old man to possess everything that God had for him? He represents a person who's willing to pay the price. Someone who is willing to fight any battle to inherit the promises that God has, to do whatever it takes in requiring them. It shows us that we too can claim our promises, our promises and walk in victory. What about you this morning? Are you willing to fight any battle to inherit your promises in God? Are you willing to fight? On verse 12 of this text, Caleb walked up to Joshua and said, Therefore, give me this mountain. What was it in Caleb's life that enabled him to say that? Give me this mountain. Now, if we want to be able to claim everything that God has for us, there's some characteristics in Caleb's life that need to be true in our own lives as well. First of all, 
Caleb was committed. Uh, it was Phil Pringle who said, say committed with gritted teeth. Commitment. Commitment. Takes a bit of grit. Commitment. Uh, if you've ever had long-time friends in your life, commitment. Uh, if you're married, commitment. Those with children, commitment. Commitment. It's something that Caleb had. God had a call for Caleb. The phrase that he wholly followed the Lord is said about Caleb at least five times in the Old Testament. And it refers to the fact that he was committed to keeping close to the Lord. The word holy literally means to fill. It's the idea of filling a sail with air. It's the picture of sails filled with air to their full capacity uh, with all the available air so that the ship can move across the water with maximum speed. Holy, holy, following the Lord. Every part of Caleb belonged to him. He didn't withhold anything. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us? To wholly follow the Lord to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily. There is intentionality, there is a cost in following Jesus. When Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions, he took a bold and decisive step to ensure the success of his venture. He ordered his men to halt on the edge of the cliffs of Dover and commanded them to look down at the water. To their amazement, they saw every ship which they had used to cross the channel fully engulfed in flames. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat. And now that his soldiers were unable to return to their continent, there was nothing left for them to do but to advance and to conquer. And that's exactly what they did. To advance, we have to burn our bridges. We have to put ourselves on the task of conquering the land and inheriting our promises, wholly following the Lord. We can't be double-minded. Uh, there's a story about a man who rode in his car as was being towed to be repaired. When they arrived at the repair shop, the tow truck driver said to him, I, don't, I didn't think I was going to make it up that hill. And the man replied, I didn't either. That's why I kept the brakes on. To live without total dedication to Christ is the same as trying to go forward and holding back at the same time. It doesn't work. James 1.8 says it like this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In, uh, in his book, One Crowded Hour, Tim Bowden describes an incident in Borneo in 1964. Nepalese fighters known as Gurkha were asked if they would be willing to jump from aeroplanes into combat against the Indonesians. The Gurkhas didn't clearly understand what was involved, but they bravely said they would do it, asking that the planes would fly slowly over a swampy area and no higher than 100 feet. When they were told that the parachutes would not have time to open at that height, the Gurkhas replied, well, you didn't mention parachutes before. Commitment. You know, Jesus calls us to follow him with this kind of commitment, with this kind of courage, willing to risk everything for his sake. Someone said that commitment is like the difference between ham and eggs. The chicken was definitely involved, but the pig was committed. <laughs> God calls us to give everything to him wholly, fully, following the Lord. And I know from my own experience, it's a challenge. It's like climbing a mountain, it's part of climbing that mountain to wholly follow God with your heart. Caleb was confident. 
What was it that gave Caleb the idea that he could be a giant killer? Well, his confidence was in God's word. Back in Deuteronomy 1, verses 34 to 36, God made this promise to Caleb. I'm sure we're familiar with this. It says this, And the Lord heard the sound of your words, and was angry, and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land which I swore to give to their fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. Caleb knew that God had given him the land, and here he was claiming it. As I said before, faith isn't simply positive thinking. It's not name it and claim it and you've got it. It's not optimism. It's not looking on the bright side. Faith is acting on what God says. It's taking God at his word and believing that he will do everything he's promised to do. And it's not just words on a page or words spoken. It's it's a faith that has action. Faith is more than saying that you believe in what God says. Faith is acting on what God says with a physical action, not just a declaration and a prayer, which is all partnered together. Hebrews 11 says this, um, and I'm not reading the scripture quote for quote, the heroes of faith. It says this, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. By faith, Sarah gave birth to a child. By faith, by faith, by faith, there is an action that is required from us to be able to step into a place of faith. It's practical. It has something attached to it. Caleb was courageous. He had to overcome some obstacles in his conquest. He had to overcome grasshoppers. Moses sent out the 12 spies. Only two came back with a courageous report. So Caleb had to go against the majority to claim God's promises. It takes courage to stand against a majority. There will always be the naysayers, the opposers, and those who disagree, sometimes for the right reasons. But when we stand on the word of God, there is a confidence that produces courage within us. Caleb had to overcome giants. We all have to face giants, discouragements, disappointments, Finances, sickness, family, stress, doubt. And the truth is that we can't defeat them ourselves. There are two views that we can hold. We can look at how small we are compared to our giants, just like the ten spies who said, we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. Or we can look at how small our giants are compared to God. This is the upward look of faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Seen from God's perspective. You know, Derek Redman was a British runner. He participated in the 92 Olympic Games in Barcelona. Um, He was barely into the 400 metre race when he pulled a hamstring and he fell to the ground. And everyone thought he was finished. Um, But much to everyone's surprise, he he rose up, he slowly stood up, and he began to hobble around the track. But even with such tenacity, it was obvious there was no way he could finish the race. And just as he was about to fall again, a man came out of the stands, put his arm around the man, and assisted him all the way across the finish line. And the stadium roared as Derek Redmond completed his race. 
And it was an amazing moment made even more significant by the realisation that the one who came alongside Derek was his own father. Together, linked arm in arm, they crossed the finish line as one. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us. We, we need the Holy Spirit. You know, God promises to never leave us or forsake us. He's for us. He's not against us. The Bible teaches us that he will lead us and guide us into all truth. We can't do it on our own. Caleb had to overcome his age. He was 85 years old, but he was still full of vitality as when he had first been sent out by Moses 45 years earlier. He didn't allow age to become his barrier for inheriting promises. Caleb was courageous. And I think the Christian life as sons and daughters of God is a courageous one. It calls us to be courageous in all that we do. Daily we make decisions to be courageous. Some of them quite simple. Some of them quite trivial. But it's a choice. But when you hold it up in light of who Christ is and what he has accomplished for us, it fails in comparison. And when life gets tough, it's like walking up a mountain that sometimes becomes just one step at a time. Um, there's a comedian named Jerry Clow, and he tells a story about Uncle Versi, who had a mule named Della. Perhaps you know the story. One day Della fell into a cistern that Uncle Versi thought he had covered up, but he hadn't. Uncle Versi had a problem. There was his best mule down at the bottom of that cistern. No way he could get the mule out of there. He didn't want her to stay down there and starve to death, so he decided that he would get a shovel and cover her up. It would be cruel, but the bottom, but it would be, wouldn't be as cruel and as inhumane as to let Della starve to death in the bottom of that deep cistern. Uncle Versi took a shovel full of dirt and threw it down into the cistern, and every time a shovel full of dirt hit old Della, she'd shake off the dirt and stomp it. And it wasn't long before Della had shaken off enough dirt, stomped it down so that she was high enough to jump out of the cistern. Now, either our problems will bury us like dirt, or we shake them off and we stomp them down until we rise above them. Caleb was a conqueror. I want to invite the music team to come back, please. Caleb conquered the mountain, and he experienced the promises of God. He stepped in with faith to the promises that God had given him. He defeated the giants. He claimed his possession. The name of the place Caleb inherited was named Hebron. This means fellowship. Caleb refused to quit until he had everything that God had for him, even at the right age of 85. He refused to stop until he had got to that place of fellowship with God. How about you? How about us? Have you entered to your place of promise? Claim your possession. It's God's will that we would walk in victory and in power, that we'd inherit the promises that he has for us. But it's not just a matter of naming it and claiming it. It's standing on God's word and then taking action. There'll be trials and mountains to conquer. God had a flood for Noah. He had a fire for three Hebrews, a lion's den for Daniel, a cake for the widow and a cross for Jesus. But each time there was victory for those who followed him. What is the promise that God is calling you into today? Have you already inherited the promise? There's a vast difference between a promise and a possession. God promised Israel the land, but they had to go in and take possession of it 
before it became theirs. God has victory for us as children. That's his promise. But that promise must be actively pursued and possessed before it will ever become a reality. I want to invite you to stand. This morning, I don't know if you're in a personal walk with Jesus today. It's the greatest promise that we can enter into is to spend a life with Christ, knowing his will for our lives, partnering with him on a daily basis. God has a place of peace and power for each one of us, but you must be willing to claim that position. It's not for the faint-hearted, but it's for those who have faith. And you can claim your promised land right now. wonder this morning if we could just get you to close your eyes. Now I met Jesus at the age of probably about 15 in my bedroom, reading a Bible. I didn't know who, who God was, I didn't know what the scriptures were. And I read the scripture, Romans 10, 9, which says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus died and rose again, you'll be saved. I read that passage not understanding what I was reading, but in that moment, as I lay on my bed in my room by myself, I read it as a prayer and I felt the doors of my heart open and I felt the presence of God come in. This morning, perhaps you haven't experienced the presence of God. He would love to meet with you if you would invite him in. So if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to just raise your hand if you'd like to receive that presence of God, if you'd like to receive Jesus. If that's you, you can just raise your hand right now if you'd like to receive Jesus. Thank you. 